Hey everyone, this is Josh Proctor, and welcome to Life on Side B. Today is episode two of season two on thriving. And today we are sharing a recording that was done earlier this month at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference. At the conference, Life on Side B was invited to the podcast stage. And so I had the amazing honor of talking with our very own Melinda, who you guys heard in season one, as well as my very own brother, Ed. And the three of us got to talk about this topic of thriving more. What does it look like in our lives? And what does it look like in the lives of LGBT Christians in general? And more specifically, side B Christians. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And with that, let's dive in. Thank you guys for being here. And um, this is now the second episode of season two of Life on Side B. And uh, like I said, our goal every season is just try not to crash the plane. And we haven't yet, thankfully. So, and this will not happen today. (laughs) Um, But as we do every season, uh, we have a theme. And then within that theme, we talk about topics. Last season was community and belonging. And a lot of that rooted just from my own wonderings of what does community and belonging look like as LGBT people, especially when you're side B and, and just in general. Um, and so then we looked at all those different topics, uh, mixed orientation, marriage, celibate partnerships, intentional community, law, all of that stuff. And um, then this season, we're looking at thriving. And what does that look like? Because so many times... Uh, it sometimes feel like, oh, I just, I just need to survive and get through this. And it's like, no, I need to learn how to actually live a life that is full of happiness and joy and thriving. And so we're going to look at some of those different topics and what that kind of looks like. So first of all, I want to thank you too. We have Melinda Malone here with us, who anyone who's listened to the podcast before or has been around QCF knows well. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And we are joined by the many times mentioned, yet never heard from on the podcast, my own brother, Ed Guzman. Hello, here we are. <laughs> yes. I'm excited to be here. Let's see how to thrive. Yes. Okay. So we are here on the Brian Eckstein podcast stage at QCF, and I'm really, really excited that we get to do this. So to start, again... Um, Melinda, many people who are listening know, have, have heard you, but can you again just share a quick summary about yourself and how you identify? Sure. Uh, my name is Melinda Malone, pronouns she or hers. I identify as a gay woman, as a member of the Church of the Sojourners, uh, and as a mom, and as lots of other things. And awesome. I've been committed to celibacy for myself and as a theological and philosophical proposition for as long as I've been aware that I was gay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And Ed, can you give a little bit of background on yourself and how you identify? This is going to be fun to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Sure. Uh, Ed, um, you must guide me through the process. (laughs) This is very new to me. Um, I identified as a Christian guy. Um, I'm celibate. Uh, that's the, uh, as Melinda mentioned, uh, the theology I felt uh, compelled, connected uh, with. And um, what else did you ask for, my dear brother? Introduce <laughs> yourself. Uh, well, I am Josh's brother. I am an adopted brother. You can tell from my accent that I am not American. Um, I mean, by born. I was born in Colombia, South America. So it's really interesting to see the side of how Christianity can embrace uh, LGBT plus uh, Christian people and how it's different in other parts of the world. So um, that is part of my journey uh, growing up in a culture that says if you are Christian, you cannot uh, experience any sort of attractions that are not, let's say, 
what the norm of the South Hemisphere uh, tells. Um, but it's interesting now to see that you can be a Christian and, and uh, thrive and be LGBT. So it's pretty interesting to see that. Yeah. Yeah, and for um, to explain this, because some of you might be saying, I've introduced him as my brother, and people are like, what? Because for everyone listening who's not here in the room, um, he's definitely Latino, very Colombian, and I am white as hell. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I met Ed, what, eight years ago? Something yes. Something like that? Uh, and since then, uh, moved to Colombia for a time and kind of got adopted into his family and he's kind of become adopted into mine and we have become brothers in many ways since then. Um, so, uh, it's been interesting having both being queer in that way and being able to connect with that. But I guess to start, I would really just for us to look at just in general, what do you what do you guys think it looks like to thrive, just in general, or what has helped you to thrive um, as LGBT Christians, and more specifically as side B LGBT Christians? I think thriving has a lot of aspects to it. One of the things I think of first when I think of thriving is growth. And not only growth, but reproduction. The idea that when a plant is thriving, it puts out new leaves, new shoots, it bears fruit, all of those things are more than just survival. And I think for people, there are a lot of aspects to our thriving as well. Mental health is an aspect of our thriving. Family relationships is an aspect of our thriving. Being fulfilled in our work or our, you know, our, our hobbies, all of that is part of thriving. And I think underpinning all of that, um, there's an education saying that you have to Maslow before you can bloom. Yeah. And it's two different <laughs> two different sets of needs, and you have to have your basic needs fulfilled. Yeah. For a lot of queer folks, we're not even getting our basic needs for safety and sustenance met. So that's the first thing that has to happen. We need to be safe, we need to be fed just on a basic level, we need to be out of abusive situations and out of poverty and that sort of thing. So that's the first thing we need to do to thrive. And then after that, the Bloom's taxonomy is about these higher psychic needs. And we can move through those other more esoteric needs like community and belonging and fulfillment and that sort of thing. So I think so many people in the queer community are still down at the most basic level of survival that first we need to make sure all those get met. And then once those get met, we can start thinking about what it really looks like to, to bloom. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Ed? Well, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, personally, I, I love hearing uh, you speak because of your experience and how you can uh, convey your message. I love that part. Uh, in my life, uh, thriving looks like many things. Uh, thriving means having a family. I love what you said that many of the people in our community do not get their basic, basic needs met. So if you don't have a family, a place where you belong, uh, that is a bare minimum. And if you don't have that for real, uh, you cannot develop the rest of the things God has given you, your gifts. So you can, for example, if you're an art, artist, you are not able to express all of the potential that you have if you don't have the basic. So for me, it has been a great experience having two families. Uh, I have here in the room one of my mothers, <laughs> I, my adopted mother here in the States. So thriving for me, it means first to belong, that you are loved, that you care, that you matter, that the way you are is uh, how God created you, that you are unique for a purpose. So that is number one. Second, after having that family-based uh, established, having a community around you that built you up, uh, that you can link arms and say, okay, how we can push each, each other up. You know, what are your strengths and my strength and your weakness and how building arms. Uh, in my experience, uh, here in South Florida, I have a group of uh, six friends, we're six total. Uh, some are straight, some are not straight. <laughs> Let's put it that like that. Uh, but it's awesome because we are so close 
and we love each other and we build up each other and it is a community that we accept each other but we challenge us. I think part of thriving is not just um, saying everything is okay but pushing you to say this is okay but you can do better. There is more that you can achieve. Um, so in that sense, that is the second part of thriving. And the third is for me, finding where you can be the most of yourself. Let me explain that. Where God has placed you so with your unique unique gifts, you get to serve the community in the greater capacity. So in my case, I understand now that the specific aspects of my personality and my queerness, let's put it that way, God has used to help me thrive and to serve Him where He placed me in the business world and the in connections for His kingdom. Uh, so I think part of thriving is seeing that everything He created and other people might have seen as a misfit, He uses for His glory to push you forward and to serve others. So I think that is part of thriving. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but I hope it did. Don't worry, it made sense. <laughs> At least to me. But I'm also used to hearing each other. I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, I really love what both of you guys said, um, especially about, you know, there's some basic needs. Some, As Melinda said, there was some basic foundational needs that um, really almost all, hum- like, as all humans we need. And it's even those needs that are sometimes not met within queer, uh, queer people's lives. I know that's something that became really real to me moving to Colombia for multiple years. And because I think sometimes when we're in the United States um, or in a Western kind of situation in general, we get, we, we get surrounded in just this understanding of what the queer community is like here. And then we forget really what <coughs> queer people go uh, deal with in multiple other areas like uh, Latin America, Africa, other parts of the world. Uh, where it's really not the same. Like the the no. I- issues that queer people are facing are so much so much more extreme. Like um, when we would deal in Colombia with um, the the rebels who were fighting against the government, and then multiple queer people who would be in those communities controlled by the rebels and therefore come out and not only be dealing with just normal rejection, but then also dealing dealing with rejection from these rebel communities and being like kind of double rejected. Um, but even in the sense of like, like deal, as you said, with dealing with poverty and all of this stuff, I guess the reason why I bring it up is that, um, uh, first of all, I would love Ed to hear you kind of talking uh, you mentioned it a little bit, but to hear your kind of perspective as a non-American person um, who is um, LGBT, but I know even for me in my life that was that was a really interesting time of my life to go from being someone who was very out to then going into this situation where people knew about me, but it was not something that was talked about, um, and even just for you had to be careful because. <coughs> you're just in situations that might not be physically safe. Um, but what do you think about that in relation to thriving and those kind of things for people outside of the United States? <coughs> well, that is a complex question. <laughs> I, I, I love to ask simple questions here. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> um, when I think about it, as I mentioned already, I grew up in Colombia. So Colombia is a very traditional country. Uh, so to speak, even though uh, like gay marriage and uh, most of what it is um, generally accepted here in the States is okay in Colombia, the mayor of the largest city in Colombia, which is Bogota, is um, a lesbian woman, uh, which is married with uh, a member of the Congress. So it's very unique, <laughs> uh, but uh, everybody loves her because she's really good at what she does. So people is changing in that sense. But within um, the Christian community, um, it is complex uh, because in the mindset of most Christians in Latin America, um, or, or you are Christian, or you are part of the LGBT community. You cannot have both. And uh, that is a complex process. As a side B, uh, person myself um, who understand that I have attractions towards 
girls and also towards guys. And, and that is something that is not going away. Uh, but I'm Christian. So reconciling that and for the community uh, that surrounds you to reconcile that and to allow you to thrive within the church is complex. Uh, because for many, you need to ignore that that is there uh, or try to go the way and say, bye-bye church, and I do my own thing. So there are many people, part of the LGBT community, Christians, that want to thrive within the church, that want to serve, that want to uh, honor God and have so many great gifts from God uh, in the way um, I'm going to give an example. One of my friends is great at giving hugs. <laughs> that is a ministry. Many people need a hug. So, but when a person of the LGBT community who is Christian is not allowed to do that, is negating the possibility of the church to receive that gift that this person has to offer. And is somebody maybe needs the hug so they don't commit suicide. So when we are not allowed to that to happen, we are cutting the process of the Great Commission because we are all part of the body of Christ. And God is the one who decides uh, who is right and who is not. But we are uh, the church. It is a hospital. It's not a club. We are all broken. So the fact that you have one thing and somebody else had something different doesn't uh, give us the right to say you can or cannot do things. So my point is, <laughs> it is way more complex for LGBT plus Christians to thrive in the context where we are, because still just the concept of being Christian and LGBT is conflicting. So thriving is not a possibility for the majority. Uh, at the beginning for us, would be, for now would be surviving and then thriving. Uh, but my prayer is so many more get to thrive because we, Josh and I, we can say that we are thriving because the church that we are part of, they have given us the opportunity to minister to others and to be ministered by others and to say the, the fact that you are part of the, that you are gay or bi, that doesn't change that God called you to serve him and that you are part of the community and that you have a lot to grow, but also to serve. That's good. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to add? Well, although in the United States, gay people have protections and other members of the queer community are gaining more protections, there are still segments of our communities as well that are just as blind about letting LGBTQ people serve in the mm -hmm. church. I mean, yeah. the conservative church is one of the few pockets of American society that is still very hostile to most folks who identify in the LGBTQ community. Um, and I'm from San Francisco, which is a very gay-friendly place, but it's yes. a very <laughs> church-hostile place. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we see a lot of some of the same divides between gay folks and church folks, even in the United States. Although yeah. in a lot of segments of the country, the, the social situation is, is better. There's still this big gap between sort of general <coughs> culture, pop culture, even federal law culture, and pockets of particularly conservative churches. Yeah, no, I think that's major, you know. Um, I will sometimes do, uh, in my ministry, trainings in conservative churches on LGBT inclusion and these things. And one time we were, um, we were invited to do trainings at some churches in San, like, in, in the San Francisco area. And we were kind of like, you're in San Francisco. Like, do we really have, do we really have things to teach you? And then we went there and we were like, ooh, oh, oh, okay. And it was actually surprising that there were some churches in, in the San Francisco area that I found were some of the areas where we had to do the most work with, which was shocking to me. And so it's true. It doesn't matter if you're in a, like, uh, metropolitan U.S. Yes. kind of situation. The bluest of the blue. Yeah, exactly. The bluest of the blue. Oh, the I even got that one. <laughs> are blue pockets in that it's true. sea of blue. 
It is very true. So I definitely agree with that, that that's like <coughs> a thing, you know, even in this, in the situation of Columbia, I know one of the most unique things about, and in my situation is that where, um, we were like, we are both not leaders in a national denomination yes. in the country and both openly known about our sexuality. We are still allowed to serve in our, in our capacities, which is not, no, I mean, it's not normal even in the States, but then in Colombia, it's like 10 times more unlikely to have happened. Um, especially when I like go down and I talk about stuff that that's why we even started doing a episode of the podcast in Spanish, which we finally got to do one. Finally. Um, I know I was so happy. That was one La of my goals. In el lado B. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, um, kind of, kind of moving in with the thriving and more in your guys' personal kind of senses. Um, what are some of the ways, um, that you have come to thrive in your own life? And what are some of the ways that you are still growing maybe in that kind of way, whether as in whatever areas it might be? One of the first ways that I found to thrive as a queer person was to join a GCN Bible study face-to-face in Baltimore a number of years ago. And we met together on a weekly basis. And we were a really diverse group of of LGBTQ Christians, straight, bi, trans, the most I had never heard of some of these denominations before in my life. Like Christadelphians. What? Christadelphians. I'll tell you about it later. Uh, And Seventh-day, not Adventists, but Seventh-day Baptists. What? And all kinds of things all over the map. And so we had some great discussions. But what was most important to me is just the minute I walked into that room, even though I was the only side B person there for most of the time, the minute I walked in the room, I felt accepted. Yeah. And... Even though I didn't grow up knowing I was gay, I, I was a very late bloomer, there weren't a lot of places in my life that I had felt so accepted. Yeah. And I think part of that is knowing that you share common struggles and just being able to say things, and every kind of minority feels this way when you first walk in, when you get a chance to be in a room where it's all you, yes. it's like... I can say this and not have to defend it. I can say this and know that you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. Yeah. So I think part of thriving is just, again, with the plant metaphor, letting your leaves sort of unfurl to their furthest extent mm-hmm. and knowing that nobody's going to be trying to snip them off. Just knowing that you can be entirely yourself. And I think that, for me, that happened in this GCM Bible study in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And the community I live in now also has an unusually high percentage of queer people. We're a very small church. We have, <laughs> we have eight full-time members, and three of them are queer. Yeah. So that's <laughs> kind of a high percentage. Um, yes. But just the fact that we all know they're there, or yeah. we know that I know that she's there, and I know that he's there, and they know that I'm there, just makes it so much more comfortable to have a decision-making process that can be authentic, that's, that doesn't have fear. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that, um, that I've found in my life is learning to let go of fear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and in, I was often unconscious of things, I was afraid of so much, you know, because I never thought of it as being afraid, I just avoided those things. Yeah. But I think a key in my life to learning to thrive has been being in places that are completely safe, and learning to let go of fear, because even after you get into a safe place, sometimes it takes a while to still really let go of that fear. Yeah, I think that's good. That was, that's kind of like something for me. <coughs> I I love what you kind of said, uh, what you what you said about just being known, being in a place where you are known, and other people like you are there that you know of. And I think for me that was a huge part. And on top of that. I got to a point where not just being in a place that included me, but I had realized that after a while of being in my community where I was accepted, I still had this mindset where almost like they were gracious for accepting me. Like, oh, thank you so much for allowing me. And it's like, no, like we're equals. I'm not just this. These are not these superior humans that are just gracious for allowing (laughs) me in their presence. Like we are equal human beings and all therefore having community together. And I think that's kind of like connected to the, sh- the fear 
and shame, which was so much of what I had to deal with, of getting rid of this shame of being queer and just being like, I am made in the image of my creator and I can walk in my community knowing that I am equal and um, that we are working together as one community to um, further the, the kingdom of Christ. Um, Ed, in your life, tell us. Um, as I was seeing you guys, uh, it is crazy to see how many of our stories intertwine. That's a new word for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, But in that process, I think uh, in my personal life, to feel that God did not make a mistake. Mm. You know, I think that is um, something I personally struggle with. I have struggled, but uh, during last year, God used it through many things um, to show I am who he wanted me to be. And the experience I have had in life, uh, whatever that is, made me who I am, and that who I am is okay for him. And I am good enough for him. And when I am good enough for him, then I have a sense of value and validation and worth uh, that potentializes me to do all things. Um, yesterday, actually, I was talking with my uh, biological parents um, about dating. So, as I feel attractions to guys and girls, um, in both in a different way, with girls is more physical. This is my description, like, ooh, hello, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is my description. And with guys, it's more like an emotional thing that I develop over time. So, I was like, in my mindset for a long time, it's like, part of being a man, if you're a Christian, so to speak, where you need to get married. But as I have been growing up in this process of knowing me and thriving as a side B Christian, it's like, well, I am who I am in Christ. If I marry or not marry, if that doesn't change who I am. And if Jesus, which is the perfect example of a perfect human, never married, so I don't need to marry to be the man he wanted me to be. Or so that has been giving me a sense of peace. I think that is very important to me personally. And based on that, uh, I can thrive because I am who he thinks I should be. Whether, um, whether I feel like, I oh know, let me put it in different <coughs> words in my, let's put my thoughts straight. Having that sense of he give me my value allows me to interact with people in a different way. Uh, for example, before coming to the conference, I went into the conference Insta uh, Instagram account and I said, I'm going to add a few people. That would have never That's happened. totally something you do. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> so I had a few people and a few weeks ago I started talking and that would have never happened before. But now it's like, and it's awesome having queer friends. And I have found that, wow, there's so much beauty in their stories, in their heart, in everything. It's like, I have been missing this because I needed to accept my own self. So for me, this is part of thriving. The fact to be sitting here and speaking and feel free. I remember when I came here, they said, are you okay being, I mean, for you to get like photos? and appear like, oh yeah, sure. That is thriving, like, I am who I am, and if you see me a photo and you think something, whatever you wanna think, well, you can think about it, and it's great. I don't have a problem with it, because I am sure who I am. So uh, that is thriving for me, and it's exciting. I don't know, again, if that makes sense, but in my brain it does. It does. Don't worry. Don't worry. No, I just laughed because when you said that you added people from an Instagram account, I was like, yep, yeah, it's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So another thing I think of when I think of thriving, as I said, is reproduction. And the idea that 
something that's helped me feel like I'm thriving is getting a chance to do things like this, feeling a bit part of the bigger LGBTQ Christian community and feeling that my story is in service to other people. I've had you know, people who said they could talk on the podcast earlier yes, or saw something else or I've mm-hmm. been at conferences where people just come up and say, tell me about your community or tell me about this or can you really do this? Even the side view Facebook group, you know, being part of that community and being able yes. to pray for people. I think my number one comment is praying for you. Um, <laughs> and just that idea that through where I've been in my life and where, through where I am in my life, I can support other people in their growth, I think is a huge part of thriving. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, that's been a major part for me has been community. And obviously, like you said, I think that's a reason why we had a whole entire season on it in yes. season one was because for me, that's become so huge, especially because so many times when we think of community, we think of partnering up, whether in marriage or in a partnership of some kind. But then being able to see the beauty, you know, Ed has mentioned our friend group with four other people. Um, we're, we're nerds, so we call ourselves the Fantastic Four. And then we have another person who is the Fab Five, and then we have the Sensational Six. So we are nerds like that, and we embrace the nerdum. Um, but even, like, with them, and it's, it for me, it's so, it's, it's so interesting as I've gotten to understand more of what community looks like in my adopted family, in my biological family, in my kind of chosen family with my friend group, um, and how they all kind of intermingle and people will see it all. Um, like, okay, this is one of my favorite moments ever in my life is I had someone text me a few days ago saying, did you get married to Ed? Yeah. And I was like, what? Um, clarify. <laughs> Why? Why are you asking this question? Because no. No, we did not marry. And he's like, well, you put on Instagram, anyone who follows me on Instagram, it's josh.proctor.guz, and Ed's last name is Guzman. And I was like, oh, well, it's because it's my adopted family. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, like, I've been adopting his family. He's been kind of adopted into mine. So I was kind of talking, and so I put it on there. And it was, it was kind of hard for them to understand I was like, it's just a, it's just a thing. No, I did not marry Ed. Don't worry, it's not. Um, so, I. But it was, it was just interesting to be able to have those places of people that know you, and and even, even sometimes in my adopted family, my bio- biological family, in my friend group, we have different views, and we are, we are very different people. I even just said, in our friend group, one of our friends is very straight very heteronormative, but loving, the most loving person. And if you're talking about anything queer, he wants to understand. Yeah. But even just, I mentioned the word queer and he was like, what, what is that? I'm like, oh gosh. (laughs) And then I mentioned the word twink and he was like, what's that? And I'm like, gosh, (laughs) okay. I need to, I need to remember my terminology when I'm, (laughs) when I'm in conversation with people. (laughs) Um, but yet we have developed a community that is so very unique. very unique and yet I love it. And that's been the place that I find thriving of like, even when, even when preparing for this episode, having like getting texts from them saying, I'm like, we're praying for you and we're hoping it goes well. And you're not going to have the, the airplane crashed. <laughs> the, the plane's not going to crash on this episode. Um, but uh, those have been some of the areas I have done, but even kind of like you guys were talking about with, um, just kind of accepting yourself and finding that place of confidence in yourself as an LGBT person and a Christian. Um, like I always, I, for so long, I always thought that the ultimate culmination of thriving was getting into a marriage or a partnership. Like that's the ultimate part. <coughs> and you arrive. Yeah. You've arrived when you finally get that marriage or that partnership. And <laughs> I, I think that I it's, <laughs> Melinda knows. <laughs> and I, I think it's just, it's really, I've learned that first of all, you really, it's important to even get to a strong place before you get, if you were to ever get into a marriage or a partnership beforehand. But on top of that, just because you get into a marriage and a partnership does not mean that your, your growth and uh-huh. into that place of thriving is done. Um, and it can actually be counterproductive. I would say it's that true. for a lot of people we have, an idolatry of relationship. 
yeah. that yes. people are so intent on finding the one, mm-hmm. the yes, one, one who's going to complete them, the one who's going to fulfill them, that they spend so much time looking for that one person that they don't know who they are, you, or they change themselves to try and meet the standards that they think are necessary yeah. to be dateable, make sure people swipe in the right direction. On my profile, I have to change who I am. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to thrive, you need to thrive as who you are authentically yes. and not who mm-hmm. some dating app says you need to be in order to get the right number of matches. Um, for the reason they were laughing at my laughing was, if you don't know my story, I was married for 25 years to a guy, and I have a wonderful son. He's 26 now. Um, but that marriage was not a part of my thriving. It was, yeah. I, actually, I take that back. Because there were lots of aspects of it that were healthy and that were good. Um, and I think if I hadn't been married, uh, my life would have gone in a very different direction, which might also not have been healthy because I wasn't a healthy person at that time. Yeah. So I can't blame it on marriage, but it does give me a different perspective on marriage than a lot of people who have been celibate their whole lives. And... Or people who are intending to get married and still hold to sort of the unrealistic expectations of romantic and marital relations that our culture foists on people. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that is major. And um, kind of focusing, I feel like a lot of what we've talked about can really apply to all LGBT Christians. And kind of diving in a little bit specifically on the side B stuff, um, what are some areas which you believe make it the most difficult for side B Christ- LGBT Christians to thrive? I mean, I think we've talked about some, but either of you have some? There are a few things. One is that a lot of side B Christians are still in very hostile churches yeah. and in hostile families. I think that's the biggest thing that makes it difficult for side B folks to thrive, is being in a hostile environment. The second thing is the thing I just referenced, uh, just referred to, which was the idolatry of relationships in our culture. And the idea that even in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court decision about gay marriage is that you can't not allow people to get married because that would condemn them to a life of loneliness. It's like, I'm not exactly judged, but okay, we'll take it. Um, The idea that the only way to be fulfilled, the only way to be happy is to have one significant other is such a huge myth and such a motivating myth in our culture that that's huge. And then I think another thing, the last thing is probably just misunderstanding. Side B is a very quirky position and lots of people don't understand it and lots of people move from other positions through side B to other positions. It's sort of a middle ground in some ways that are that can be uncomfortable to stand in if your friends and family are either less affirming or more affirming than the sort of middle ground that, that side B stakes out. So that's very difficult too. Not not being one thing or the other is always a difficult place to be in. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. Edwin? I would say that one of the main things within the culture in the South is the misunderstanding of what that even means, you know? Like what the term? What the term means, you know, side B, what, what is that? So trying to explain what you believe uh, is one of the hard, hardest Hard. or more complex things um, that I have found for myself. And the second, I love that you mentioned it, is like, you're in the middle ground. So normally our society is so polarized that you are white or black. You cannot be gray. So then when you are sort of in the middle, it's a conflicting position. So like, I cannot totally hate you, but not totally like you because you have some things I like and some things I don't like you. So it's like, define yourself, like made a decision. Go side A or totally affirming or not. So that is complex to thrive and in that context. I would say those are two very complex ones within the context I live in in the South. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I I think that's a major one, and I love what you were talking about. The idolatry, uh, idolatry of relationships. 
um, yes. I think is a huge one because we get into this idea that um, the culmination of, as we talked about, the culmination of be, having a joyful life and a complete life is having your significant yes. other in one person, you know. And that's, I think, in Christianity of itself, the fact that we believe the perfect human is a person who never married um, is one fact in and of itself. The one person who we look at as the ideal uh-huh. is a man who lived 33 Three years, years, somewhere around there, whatever, however old he lived, and never <laughs> married and never had a relationship in that way. And so, and in that way, that shows us that within the Christian life, there are opportunities of living outside of marriage. Like most big lies, it has a grain of truth in it, which is that humans need intimacy. They need intimacy. And they need physical intimacy, they need emotional intimacy, they need Mm -hmm. daily, mundane, day-to-day intimacy. And I think one of the biggest things is a lack of role models and a lack of living models uh, to see what thriving looks like when you're not married. Yeah. We all probably have one or two, like the crazy aunt or the really cool <laughs> guy that, you know, is an artist and he thrives on his own, but they're always seen as the exception. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, some of the people are the exception, and they should be, otherwise the species dies out, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing that some of the people are an exception, but they shouldn't, we shouldn't be an anomaly because of that. Good point. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one other um, a fact that we need to have an account or think about is what is the meaning of thriving? Because uh, that is the base to put all the foundation on. Because uh, what thriving uh, looks for me might not look for you. So. Thriving for somebody might look like getting married and having kids. Thriving for other person might be becoming an artist and traveling around the world. Or becoming an, um, a foster parent. Or, you know, so what does that mean? What does that entail? And also based on what we believe as, as Christians, what, how did Jesus thrive? And try to follow that pattern, I think, will help us, no matter where you are, uh, to thrive, to understand what is the real meaning behind that. Um, And I love, again, what you said, like, we overemphasize the one person that will change everything. And I want to take that to the Christian root of all of us, and that might sound really, I don't know, eh, like a record, but, well... The person you need is Jesus. If you start with developing a real, profound, significant, meaningful relationship with him, out of that relationship, you can build many other relationships that are fulfilling and help you to thrive. But if we start looking outward for what we need to find inward within our relationship with Jesus, we might not find it. So we might be looking for somebody, for the one, to give us what Jesus needs to give us first, and to uh, first be okay with us, loving us and thriving with us, then look for the other person. Because in my experience, I work with a lot of people that are married. <laughs> Most of the people I work with are married, and they're straight. Uh, but many of them, they come to me and say, hey, I screwed this up. I shouldn't have even married. But that's the norm. It's like, I'm 20-something, I have a good job, and I think I'm Christian, so you got to get married. That's it. That's the way to go. But maybe it wasn't the right time or the right path for the person. So I think uh, coming back to the root of following Jesus and allowing him to fulfill the basic needs you have and based on his example and his standards thrive through that relationship. And from that love and that thriving, have all the relationships that help you build that, uh, build that up. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, and that's something else that I, I like to talk in, at least in every episode, at least connecting it back to Jesus, obviously, that's the reason why we're here, but um, I guess talking about that with a relationship with Jesus, then how would you say, you know, talking about the importance of a relationship with Jesus in thriving, then, Ed, 
we can kind of start with what, how would you say for you, our relationship with Jesus has helped you thrive? Um, I would say a few things. One, uh, understanding that Jesus is a person, a real person. Uh, what does that mean for me? That I have a rhythm with him. So when I wake up, I talk to him like, hey, morning. Like, my night was crap. I didn't really rest. How are you? That is not how many Christians start the day. Some of the people will be, dear Lord Jesus, Father Almighty. No, like he is all of that. But he is close to me. I know him. And I try to have at least two or three times a day when I pass. Um, normally, when you know me, I am very high energy person. So I'm more like a puppy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is who I am. So I need to pause, obligate myself to stop and say, why are you doing what you're doing? So sometimes I pause for three or five minutes that you don't see me. And I go and lay down in my bed and say, hey, Jesus, I'm here. And I just close my eyes and I don't think about much. And I'm like, ah, he's, he's there. And I enjoy his presence. So that fulfills me and helps me thrive. Like, ah. I have you and you will never disappear and go or nowhere, no matter what I'm going through, if I'm good looking, if I'm fit, if I have abs, and if I'm rich or good looking or not, you will stay there. When I'm old, you're still there. So that give, give me this strength to continue the process. So that, those are the things I do daily to help me thrive. Understanding that he is a person that I can relate to and that I pause during my day to be with him as I pause to post stuff, dumb stuff most of the time on my Instagram stories. I pause to say, hey, what's what's going on with you? What are you doing? What are you up to Jesus today? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing I do. That's lovely. <laughs> I, really, I really like that a lot. Um, it's interesting because when I think of my relationship with Jesus, I... <coughs> It's because of my relationship with God that I'm still alive. Yes. That, you know, the trauma of my family was to the point when I was a kid that I wanted to die when I was eight years old. And for a good portion of my life thereafter. But I knew that that was not what God wanted for me. I knew that Jesus was the one person that loved me. Yes. That would always be there for me. And that if he said I was necessary for me to stick around, that I would stick around. So it goes back to basic needs. I think Jesus is, was the only one I could rely on. And got me to adulthood. So there's that first thing. <coughs> At this point in my life, I think my relationship with Jesus is in some ways more with Jesus as the body of Christ, and Jesus as the church. I still have a really strong one-on-one relationship with Jesus, but I'm seeing more and more that my relationship with Jesus is also my relationship with Jesus' people, mm-hmm. and as Jesus in his people. So, I mean, one of the jokes some other people say is, that, you know, relationship with Jesus is great, but he can't pick you up at the airport. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you need Just other can. people. <laughs> and so, but that is part of our relationship with Jesus as well, because that yes. is exactly what the body of Christ is supposed yes. to be. They're yes. supposed to be Jesus for one another. This is the reason they're called the body of Christ. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, thing. So, yes. the yes. whole no hands but ours, no feet but ours in the world right now, um, really comes to life for people who are celibate in ways that it doesn't necessarily with people who have um, a full-time partner. Yeah. Because instead of putting all your relational eggs in one basket and expecting that person always to be there for you and always to be your default, you kind of have to spread it around to other people and mm-hmm. let more of the body of Christ sort of be there for you. And it's a kind of a radical dependency then that's necessary um, that celibacy sort of forces us into, but which I think is also very very healthy mm-hmm. because it builds up the whole body because when I'm dependent on people for perhaps the airport or taking to the hospital or, you know things like that they also know that they can depend on me uh, two way street yeah uh, actually yeah. in our case it's an eight way street it's a confusion corner all eight streets <laughs> <just> coming together <laughs> that's a really good metaphor for community yes <laughs> Scary roundabout. Um, 
I'm just really quickly. I'm just speaking from experience. In my hometown, there is a roundabout <laughs> called Confusion Corner, where like five streets come together, <laughs> and then you always know people who are not from that town because they're like, "I thought it was going straight, and then I ended up on this road." I'm like, "Yeah, that's because it's like six roundabouts all wrapped into one." So anyway, <laughs> so it was funny because I was talking to my therapist about intimacy, and she said, "Well." You know, when you're in a long-term relationship, it's like having a chest of drawers where you pull out the top drawer, and then over time you pull out the second drawer, and then the third drawer. And, you know, true intimacy, you have to kind of get all the way to the bottom drawer. And she said, you can't always do that with groups of people like your small group. I said, well, if you live with the same eight people for 25 years, (laughs) you can get to the bottom drawer. But I think that's another thing about community that Americans are not very, North Americans are not very good at, it's stability. Yeah. A lot of people move in and out of communities, in and out of churches, in and out of small yes. groups, in and out of towns. And so it's it's hard sometimes to build those long-term relationships so that you can really start to see Christ in others and they can reflect Christ back to you. Yeah. No, that's that. I think that's a, such a major thing, especially in U.S. culture, of like where it's not a major deal if you just end up moving to another city. And leave your community behind when that change your church, yeah, or change churches. Like, okay, you know, I'm going to another church. When if we're really going to take community seriously, like, just as you're not going to say to a spouse, "Oh, hey, yeah, okay, I got a job over in this city. I'm moving. (laughs) See you later." (laughs) Like, you wouldn't do that. That would be a huge, major issue. And so, if we're going to take community the same way. We need to understand that, like, that that needs to be seen in the same way of the effect of that on our life, on our community's lives. And I know for me, like, a big thing with my relationship with Jesus has been, um, I think sometimes, as I've been thinking about this whole topic of thriving, and I love how you talked about, like, we need to define it. Like, what is, what is thriving? Um, and... It may be very cliche. Some people, some of you guys cliche. might roll, roll your eyes or or anyone who's been to a mega Protestant <laughs> church is probably going to think. But the verse that keeps coming to mind is where Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and life to the full. Yes. But then Jesus also understood suffering. And so then I think sometimes we, we think that a thriving life means a life without suffering and a life without pain or just a life of continual happiness. But as people who've heard on the podcast this past year, 2019, not my best year, the very difficult year. And yet I would still count it as a year of thriving because it was my relationship with Christ and my relationship with my community, as you talked about, yes. that helped me get through it and gave me joy to have in the midst of saying this year sucks and I'm ready for it to end. And yet at the same time being able to say, I'm, I'm still have joy in the midst of it, even as joy. people die, even as this loss happens even as this happens like my joy is in the people around me and in my relationship with christ through them and beyond them um that you know when i um years ago i also went through another kind of really hard year and it was a year where i literally spent the year yelling and cursing at god it was pretty much my year and yet that was what got me through that year, kind of like you talked about, that your relationship with Jesus is what helped you get through, you know, your childhood and stuff. Right. And so, um, I think that sometimes there's that understanding of that thriving does not mean not suffering or not going through hard times, but it means having an understanding of love and acceptance and intimacy even through those those hard times and those sufferings. That yes, this is going on right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not able to thrive in the midst of those kind of things. One more thing. Go ahead. Um, I like this uh, image in my brain for thriving. If we look at the story of, uh, he is, I don't know how you say that in English. Well, the guy from Egypt. Josue. Josue? No, no, Joshua. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph. Joseph. Uh, he, uh, I think he was sold, um, and then he ended up in uh, Egypt. Uh, and well, his life looks like crap, you know? Sorry about the word. Like, I'm doing great, and no, then I'm like, screw. And then, oh yes, God, you're good, and then screw. You know, like, it's like, like from bad to worse. 
And then you're like, but this is a faithful dude. You know, he loves God, the whole thing, but his life doesn't look like how we would picture the perfect life based on Hollywood. But the life is not Hollywood. And I love that God shows that life with him is hard because life is like that. He created it to be challenging. But I love that the end process of this guy was to be the second in command of the largest uh, empire of the time. So he was the second most powerful man in the entire world. So the higher the call you have, the more complex the process of preparation is. So as part of the member of the LGBTQ+, we have a huge calling that many people get not, do not understand. So that is why our journey looks really painful and crazy, and we have heard, been hurt so many times. But God uses all of those processes because He is preparing us so we can then be launched to do something that we might not even see yet what it is, but He is preparing us for it. Because in the process, this guy thought that he had arrived several times, but he wasn't. So maybe, you know, driving process like, oh, I got it, I'm good now. But guys like, no, I still have more for you. Uh, you still have to go through other process that are painful, but driving looks like that. And I love thinking that uh, my life has been marked by pain in many ways, physically, emotionally. Um, but when I see where I am and where I see where God is moving me forward, I see that all of that, he allowed things to happen for a bigger purpose that now I'm starting to see. So it is painful, yes, but the preparation that he has allowed me to have and the experiences allowed me to relate with people in a way many other people cannot uh, relate. So my phrase that I love the most is, the one who has been forgiven the most, love the most. So I love God in a way many Christian straight people will never love God because God is all I have. If he is not there, this is game over. So because of that and because I know I am broken and I need him so badly, then I get to know him, know him and enjoy him in a level many other people don't get to see. So thriving is also through suffering to get to know him and to have a community who understands our same pain, but also link arms with us for a, uh, for a bigger purpose. We have talked to Josh many times, like the time when we all as LGBT plus or queer Christian people understand the calling that we have, we could reach the entire world for Jesus. Because we have something so unique, so special, that it is an army that is being uh, asleep but needs to be awakened. So we actually get to finish the Great Commission. That's how I personally see it. And to clarify one thing that I that you were saying uh, that I wanted to kind of clarify in a way is that I think with this whole walk of being with God and like how you said sometimes with the life of Joseph and stuff where we Joseph. will go through so was suffering. It's not that God puts that suffering in our lives, but that God realizes we live in a broken world and we live in a world that is not in that way. And yet he can still use it. That just because things, the suffering happens and just because these things happen does not mean that God cannot still bring us into a, a purpose and into um, all of these things and use all of these things that happen in our life. The, the traumas, the, the awful things that God is still walking with us through those yes. and still working with us because he has a calling on each of our lives. Thank you for the clarification. No, thank you guys both for being here. And thank you all for being here. This has been fun for all of us. I guess that's it. All right. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And be on the lookout in two weeks for our next episode where we 
start diving into more specific topics related to thriving. Also remember that if you are interested in getting more bonus content, as well as getting access to some of the episodes early, subscribe to our Patreon page, which you can do through lifeonsidebe.com. And with that, we'll see you soon. Thank you.